Christmas song ever written that was sung earlier, Oh Holy Night, greatest Christmas song, in my opinion, ever written by Placide Capot, Placide Capot in 1843, Oh Holy Night. It's actually the third verse that they were singing, and by the way, a great arrangement. I hope they're doing that same arrangement on Christmas Eve, but we'll find out. Um, I love Oh Holy Night ever since I was a child. I've loved it on Christmas Eve. We sang it ever in my church I grew up in, Western Pennsylvania. We, I loved it because my mom would sing it every Christmas Eve. She was the designated soloist for the church, and I could still remember her singing it. And it was this third verse that always captivated me and puzzled me. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love, and his gospel is peace. Change shall he break, for the slave is our brother. Didn't know what that meant. And in his name all oppression shall cease. What did oppression have to do with Christmas? That verse was always puzzling to me and also intriguing to me. So here's what I think. I think it's in this particular verse of O Holy Night that the poet, Placide, was focusing, I think, on one slice of humanity, one group of people for whom the coming of Jesus is, of partic is particularly promising. Look at the words again. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break. Chains for the slave is our brother, and we are in league with, we are those who are enslaved, we are one in humanity with those who are slaves. And then he goes on to say, and it's in the name of Jesus Christ, the one who we celebrate is coming, that all oppression, all oppression shall cease. Unbelievable song. I believe that he would, what he is suggesting is Christmas, the incarnation, the coming of Jesus, is a sign of of hope for those who are unloved. Christmas is a sign of hope for those who are without peace. Christmas is a sign of hope for people who are chained, enslaved by fear and injustice and by other human beings. And Christmas is a sign of hope for all the oppressed people of our world. Mm. The birth of Jesus... I believe, is a sign that the marginalized and the vulnerable of humanity can find freedom, love, and justice. I think that's one of the great signs of the coming of Jesus. Now, at the heart of Luke's telling of the story of the coming of Jesus is a marginalized person, a vulnerable person, and not just any person in the story, but other than Jesus himself, the person at the very heart of the Christmas story. Now, let me introduce you to her. You know her. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. If you want to grab a Bible in here in the auditorium, it's page 849, or you can open up the app or grab whatever Bible you have, or even look at the screen. We'll put the scripture up here too. You got all the options. Um, Luke 1, 26, <clears throat> tells us in the month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Now, we met Elizabeth last week, who 
had her own, go back and listen to that message, had her own rather remarkable pregnancy when she was very old. God sent the angel Gabriel, who, by the way, was in Elizabeth's story as well. So the angel is now sent to another person, to Nazareth, a village in Galilee. And here she is, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. And Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, as one would be, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. I think she was probably also thinking, who are you? Greetings, favored woman. You've been uniquely singled out, uniquely singled out as a recipient of God's favor and grace and special honor. Imagine being Mary and hearing that. And you are now in the unique place of having God's presence with you and blessing because the Lord is with you. Now, all of this is astonishing. It's astounding because of Mary herself. Mary was likely in her mid-teens, think 15-year-old, think high school freshman, full stop, uneducated, because women in that day were uneducated, unmarried. This in and of itself made her of secondary status to men. Not only was she marginalized in these ways, she was from Galilee, which was rural Israel. We find out later in the story, in Jesus' story, the people from Galilee were assumed to be uneducated peasants. And not only was she from rural, kind of a nowhere place, she was also from a nowhere town, a tiny town of Nazareth. Can any good thing came out of Nazareth is what Nathaniel asked later on when he met Jesus. What can come out of Galilee? What can come out of Nazareth? So this is Mary. She was a nobody from nowhere with no stature and no influence. She was, by the very definition of marginalized, a marginalized person who was insignificant, disempowered, and completely without regard. She was living on the margins of society, and nobody cared about her. <clears throat> her only hope was that out of the margins, that some man would choose her to be married. And this would then give her at least a, mar a, a marginal form of of realization and, and, and identification in the world. And by the way, that then became threatened by the nature of her pregnancy because how can I now be married? So you can understand why Mary felt the way she did. Confused and disturbed. Now, I'll summarize what happens next. The Gabriel, the angel, goes on to say, don't be afraid. And he says it again, he repeats, for you have found favor with God, which is hard for her to grasp. You've, you've been singled out. And here's what's going to happen to you. You're going to conceive. You're eventually going to give birth to a son. And, and by the way, you're going to call him Jesus. And he's going to be great. And people are going to call him the son of the most high. 
He's going to be the son of God. And the Lord God will give your son the throne of your ancestor, David, and, and Jesus will reign over Israel forever and his kingdom will never end. What? So Mary asked the angel, naturally, how can this happen? I'm a virgin. And the angel then explains to her, I think he probably had to do this in slowly and as clear as he could. Well, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And the, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So that this baby that will be born is going to be holy, set apart, unique. And again, I'm telling you, he's going to be called the Son of God. Now, what the story tells us that Mary responded next is pretty remarkable. I would think at this point she's probably picking herself up off the ground. But she says to Gabriel, okay, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left. Mm. Story goes on to say that Mary... I can't imagine she's not reeling, goes to visit Elizabeth, her relative, who, again, is pregnant with John. And when another kind of an odd thing happens, when Mary walks into the house to greet Elizabeth, John, the baby inside of Elizabeth, jumps or moves, and it sends Elizabeth, her relative, into these spasms of delight, carried away by the Spirit. She says, God has blessed you and your baby. Well, that's the story that sets up what happens next. Because what happens next, according to Luke, is that Mary sings a song. Now, to be honest, there are scholars who debate, debate whether Mary came up with this song, which is laden with Old Testament prophecy in it, or whether these words were put in her mouth later. But nevertheless, what comes from her is what many people call the Magnificat. And the Magnificat comes from the phrase, from the word, my soul magnifies the Lord or praises the Lord. That's the word from which Magnificat comes from. Now, I like this description of the Magnificat, of her song. Some people have called it a song of reversals. What was true in my life is no longer. Uh, some people call it the song of turnarounds. The, the direction my life was going in is, is completely different. Or some, some people call it the song of met longings. The longings of my heart have been answered. That's in essence the song she sings. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read it out loud. I just want you to listen. Get in a state where you can hear and just listen for the nuances in the, in the poetry. And then we'll stop and we'll, we'll walk through it phrase by phrase. <clears throat> Here's how Mary, here's what she sings. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he took notice of this lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For, for the mighty one is holy and he has done great things for me. 
He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and the haughty ones, and he has brought down princes from their thrones. And he's exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful for he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. Now, let's look more closely at what Mary says. And in particular, I want you to see how she refers to herself through this song. Verse 48, she sings, He took notice of this lowly servant girl. Not just a servant girl, but a lowly servant girl. He took notice of a nobody from nowhere. She identifies herself as a marginalized one. You can read between the lines that she's saying, I have longed to be seen. I have longed to be noticed. I have longed to be acknowledged. And God has met my longing. He saw me. Now, as a side note, if you or anyone you know have lived on the margins of society or the margins of a community where you are a nobody from nowhere, you know what you have longed for as much as anything else. Or if you could think of somebody who fits into that category. You don't want to be pitied. You don't want to be patronized. You just want to be seen. You want to be acknowledged. That is a deep longing of the vulnerable in this world, of those who are marginalized. Will someone just see me? Don't patronize me. Just see me and acknowledge me. And she says, God saw me. She goes on to say in verse 49, and he has done great things for me. Marginalized people never have the freedom to think in grandiose terms like great things. All she had ever hoped for was maybe have some man choose her so that she could live a somewhat simple life and maybe have children. That would give her identity. But what she says is, he has exploded my life with great things. And in verse 50, she says, he has showed me mercy. You looked on me. He looked on me with compassion and sympathy. See, vulnerable people, and maybe you're one, maybe this is the way you perceive yourself. Maybe you are. The vulnerable people of our world assume that only the rich and the influential get noticed. That's what they assume. The vulnerable and marginalized people of the world realize that they're never the ones who are going to get a break. They're never going to catch a break. And she says, yet God looked at me. I didn't just catch a break. God showed me mercy. And then summarize it in verse 52 with this. He exalted the humble. 
I know I'm saying this a lot, but the the self-image of those on the periphery of society, whether it's because of financial issues or ability issues or whatever it is that that causes a person to live on the periphery of society, their self-image is that I am a nobody. I did a workshop um, a couple years ago now for a company here in central Indiana. Um, Just to tell you what I do is one of the focuses of my business is I help individuals and groups of people to grapple with their calling, their destiny, and I have a way to help them, well, how, how to help people figure that out. And I've created a workshop for groups of people to wrestle through and help them figure out what their calling and destiny is in the world. So a company here in central Indiana invited me in to speak to their employees. Now, I don't know what I was thinking when I was invited in. Well, I know what I was thinking. I was assuming that I was coming to speak to their C-suite. That for some reason, that's what got in my mind. When I walked in the building, I realized they invited their entire, all their employees, and in particular, the production line workers. And I walked in the room, and we did two workshops, and there were probably about 125 people total. And I wondered, how's this going to go? Because this is a topic. I wonder how it's going to be received. And I introduced the concept of calling and destiny. I said, you know, you were built to count as water is made to run downhill, and you were placed in a specific context this is the way I introduce all my workshops. You were sp- you placed in a specific context to count in ways that nobody else does. That is your destiny. And a man's hand went in the air. And he said, may I speak? And I said, sure. <laughs> and he stood up. He said, may I stand up? Because where I'm from, you stand when you're speaking in public. And he said, I have a question for you. Do people who are living in refugee camps have a destiny? Turns out, only months before, he had come from a refugee camp in Congo and got this job here in central Indiana, and he wanted to know, do I have a destiny? Because when you are living on the margins of society... When you are the vulnerable, you don't think in grandiose terms about yourself. You're just trying to make it another day. And he was saying, are you telling me that there is something unique about me? He exalts the humble. And then she says, he has filled the hungry, and I think she's referring to herself. She's, ref- she's filled the hungry with good things. Hunger is a powerful motivation, of course, for physical food. But the hunger to catch a break. Can I catch a break? Can my luck change? Can I be significant? There's a gnawing, growing desire in a person who's vulnerable for things to go right for a change. And Mary said... It happened to me. Do you see why some people call it the song of reversals, the song for the victims of injustice? It's a song for inclusion of those on the margins. 
It's a song, song of longings met for the vulnerable. It's a song of hope for lost causes. And I find that about this song fascinating and frustrating. Here's one of the things that fascinates me about this song is because about 30 years later, the little boy that she was going to give birth to, Jesus, he grows up and 30 years later, he samples his mother's song by quoting some of the same scripture maybe she was thinking of when he says this, the, watch this, the spirit of the Lord is on, upon me, this is the words of Jesus, 30 years later, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, watch for these themes, he has sent me to proclaim the captives will be released, see from Mary's song, that the blind will see that the oppressed will be set free and that the time of the Lord's favor, the same word that Gabriel used about Mary, has come. Whoo. And you can hear his mother's song echoing in his own teaching when he's surrounded on the mountainside by a bunch of people who are just like her, the way I envisioned the people during the Sermon on the Mount is they were on the margins of society. That's why they were coming to him. The rich and the power and the influential did not need Jesus. Everyone else did. And so they show up at the Sermon on the Mount and he says this to them, God blesses you who are poor for the kingdom of God is yours. God blesses you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. God blesses you who weep now, for in due time you will laugh. Mm. And then Jesus took his mother's song and turned it into reality. Everywhere he walked for about a three-year period, he acknowledged the marginalized. He loved the vulnerable. He healed the people that were broken. He released people who were enslaved by a number of things and anointed the vulnerable and, he, and the marginalized. He put, he gave legs to his mother's song. And I find that fascinating. And this is one of the main reasons why Christmas, the coming of Jesus, is a celebrate, watch this, that Christmas is a celebration of justice for lost causes and those stuck on the margins of humanity. That's what Christmas is about. And that's why this song is so frustrating. Mary's song and Jesus' sampling of her song are still right now a pipe dream for millions of vulnerable people, marginalized victims of injustice in our world right at this very moment. And I know you all share my frustration with this because I know what you're, we're about as a church is why I love this church. I've been associated with churches all over the country. And I can tell you, this church, more than any other I've been associated with, cares about victims of injustice, cares for the marginalized. We agonize with the vulnerable. And that's why this song is just frustrating. What do we do with our frustration that this Magnificat is not playing out in enough lives. 
Well, as Barry said last week, and I agree with him, there is an element where we just need to wait. Hate that. We have to wait and hope and pray for God's intervention. Could he? Well, the scripture seems to give a picture where there will be a time where there will be enough as enough from God. It's taken 2,000 years. Maybe it'll take another 2,000. I don't know. Because so we're living in this, as Barry said, we're in this now and not yet period. And yes, to a certain extent, we need to wait and pine for this. Do we pine enough for justice? And better yet, though, better yet, what if we took Mary's song as our rallying cry to action? What if Mary's song is our call to love the vulnerable and welcome the marginalized into the community of God? That's how Jesus designed this whole thing to work. Can I share with you what I think is one of the most remarkable things, if not the most remarkable thing that Jesus ever said? There's a setup. Watch this. What he said to his followers. He said, the person who trusts me will not only do what I'm doing, wait, what? But even greater things. You will do greater things than I've ever done because I'm on my way to my fa the Father and I'm giving you the same work to do that I've been doing, which is loving the marginalized and caring for the vulnerable. You are not just going to do what I'm doing. You're going to do greater things than the Son of God. So maybe our frustration can be turned into commitment and action to take the very song of his mother Mary and turn it into our rallying cry for who we are in this world. That the Magnificat can drive us to move into this world with the mar marginalized and vulnerable. See, the birth of Jesus is a sign the marginalized and vulnerable of humanity can find freedom and find love and find justice. And the birth of Jesus can be, and hopefully it will be for you and me this year in a way that's maybe never been, the birth of Jesus can be a catalyst for you to launch into your calling to heal the broken places of this world and to welcome the marginalized and vulnerable into the justice which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. I'm just going to give it a minute.
may we do greater things than you ever did, Jesus, because you've empowered us to do so. So that the song of longing that Mary sang will be the song of reality for millions of marginalized and vulnerable people in this world. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, I pray. Amen.